ground pitch, swing and a drive, deep to right field, way up there, way out of here, goodbye baseball. Eighth strikeout for the King tonight and make it 23 consecutive scoreless innings for Phoenix. Strike three called on the outside corner and there it is. It's time for the Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Kyle Seager, that just happened. Thank you very much. Now, here's your host, Gary Hill. And welcome to the room edition of the Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Ah, yes, the sweep of the Tampa Bay Rays. Mariners flying high, and we have a ton to get to in this podcast. This is going to be a great one, a great podcast. If we were to rank all of them, I think this is, what, number 271 we've done. This would be up there, I think. This is towards the top. Let me lay it out for you. First, we get to talk about two games because there was no podcast yesterday with the day game so two games to talk about both wins and both highly entertaining dramatic and two games to get the sweep over the Tampa Bay Rays I have some numbers to get to you including one that I know I can guarantee you're absolutely gonna love that comes up in a couple minutes so highlights, we have a lot of reaction coming from after the game yesterday as well. So that's coming your way. Off day today, so no preview. We'll take a close look at the home weekend series coming up tomorrow. So here's what we have for you today. This is fun. So as you probably know, listening to me, I'm into the numbers. And we're going to have a fun conversation about numbers that I think you'll really enjoy. Jesse Smith. Manager of Analytics for the Seattle Mariners is going to be here. We're going to have a long conversation about, and we're going to, this is going to be the first of, I think, many visits this season. So this is going to be a lot about him, how he got into it. What does the Mariners Analytics Department look like? What do they do? You know, a lot of questions that I think a lot of you have about the analytics department for the Mariners. So that comes up in a few minutes that I think you'll really enjoy. Deho Lee, who has been just tremendous for the Mariners. Shannon Dreyer sits down a long-form conversation with Deho Lee, so we get to know him a little bit, which is fantastic as well. So those two things are coming up. Not only that, Chris Archer is going to be here. Aaron Goldsmith catches up with Chris Archer. And I think of every, every player outside the Mariners, every visiting player, Chris Archer – Maybe my favorite to hear from, and we'll hear why in a few minutes. I just think he's outstanding. He's so thoughtful about the game. He's so aware what's going on throughout baseball. I feel like you could ask, ask him a question about anyone in baseball, and he'd, he'd have a great answer for you. And Aaron Goldsmith asked him about Taiwan Walker, and he, he's talked about Felix Hernandez in the past as well. He mentions him, but I think it's a conversation you'll really like, and to wrap things up at the end, we'll have an At Home with Dave segment. And if you don't remember that, it will be a treat. So it is a jam-full podcast. But let's start with the highlights. So we missed two games. So we'll start with game two of the series. So Mariners take game one in thrilling fashion. Cattell Marte was the hero in game one. And then game two, Mariners really with their work cut out for them. Wade Miley on the hill. Miley against Smiley, which is awesome. And Smiley had, coming into the game, had just been sensational. One of the best pitchers in the American League. But the Mariners wasted no time. They jumped 
all over Smiley to start the ball game. 3-1 to Gutierrez. Swing and a fly ball deep into the gap in Go right ball. center field. Susan going back. Yes, Goodbye sir. baseball. Franklin Gutierrez with an opposite field. Two-run home run here in the bottom of the first with Cattell Marte aboard. Holy smokes. He just lit this candle and the Mariners have a 2-0 lead early in the ball game against Drew Smiley. How about that? How about that is right. The Mariners a 3-0 lead. They tack on one more. Say so they score three in the first against Smiley. That's good work. Tampa Bay would get two, a couple of solo blasts to make it 3-2. to two. But then the Mariners, they pace Smiley for three more in the bottom of the fourth as once again, Day Holy steps up and provides a huge smash. The pitch, the lead, swinging a fly ball deep to right field. Sousa to the one, he tracked to the wall. Really impressive going the other way, driving it out. The Mariners have a lead. Tampa Bay would get one in the sixth, one in the seventh to make it close. Steve Ciszek would come on, and he would close it down with a rare four-out save. The 2-2 pitch, swing, and a miss, strike three, and the Mariners win it. Six to four over the Rays tonight, and the Mariners get their 20th win of the year. They go to 20-13 and 13 here on May the 10th, one of the best starts in the history of this franchise. Steve Ciszek. Picking up the save, his 11th of the year, a four-out save. He got the final out in the eighth, and he strikes out the side. How about that? So the bullpen closed it down. They have been outstanding. Mariners take their seventh series out of their last eight, and the only one they didn't win was a four-game split on the road, which you would take each and every time. So they haven't lost a series in eight, and they've won seven of them. Really rolling. I have another number along those lines, again, that you're really going to enjoy. The bullpen outstanding. I have a number about that as well. So it set up a thriller. Day baseball yesterday. Walker against Archer. And same thing. Mariners jump on Archer in the very first inning. The 1-1 to Smith. Swing and a ground ball up the middle into center field for a base hit. Marte will score. Cruz running third, heading home. He will score. Up of the ball is Kevin Kiermeyer. The throw will go into second. Around to third goes Seeger. Seth Smith with a single up the middle. Drives in a couple. Marte and Cruz and the Mariners have now taken a 3-0 lead. So the Mariners, for the second game in a row, they jump on Tampa early. And the Mariners now, they've been really good in first innings. The second best plus minus in first innings in the American League, just behind the Red Sox. They're plus 13 in first innings. Nothing wrong with a good start. And they got off to another good start in this one. Taiwan Walker, too, was, I mean, dominating early on in this ballgame. Here's the next offer and a swing and a miss and a fastball for strike three. Kiermaier goes down a swinging and that is strikeout number four for Taiwan Walker. Two in the first, two here in the second and that's it for Tampa Bay and Walker off to a great start. 
I mean, it looked like a four-run lead might as well have been a 50-run lead with the way Walker was throwing, dealing. His fastball velocity was off the charts. He looked untouchable. That was until the sixth inning when Walker, who had walked three on the season, walked three in the inning. He paid for it, a grand slam. Walker ended up going five and two-thirds, gave up five hits, four runs earned, three walks, and nine strikeouts on 101 pitches. And the problem was that the bullpen shorthanded. Ciszek down, Peralta down, didn't leave many bodies to try and finish this one out. Mariners would take a lead to the ninth after a Nelson Cruz sack fly in the seventh inning. By the way, Cruz, just this is just statistical oddity at work, nothing more really, but... Cruz had one sack fly all of last season. This year, he's already had three as he knocked in another run with a sacrifice fly in the seventh inning. So the Mariners have a lead, but Tampa ties it up in the ninth inning with a home run by Kiermaier. Tenth was scoreless. Go to the 11th. Meanwhile, Johnson was on, and he is just (laughs) – throwing his slow curves and maneuvering out of trouble, getting out of jams, keeping Tampa off the board. I mean, really impressive work. And that led to Chris Iannetta in the 11th inning. The 3-2 pitch, swing and a fly ball deep to center field. Going, going, gone. Goodbye baseball. A walk-off home run for Chris Iannetta here in the bottom of the 11th inning. His third home run of the season. Come away with a 6-5 win over the Tampa Bay Rays, and they sweep aside Tampa Bay. Iannetta greeted by his teammates at home plate. Holy smokes, what a way to wrap it up this afternoon. Bring out the brooms, baby, sweeping the Rays away, and it makes it so impressive to me, not only the sweep, but they beat Archer and Smiley along the way. Those guys have been on fire, two of the best in the American League. They came in with a 172 ERA and 40 strikeouts in their last six starts combined. And the Mariners get the two for 10 earned runs in 10 innings. Unbelievable work by the Mariners. The bullpen was spectacular in this series, despite the run in the ninth inning. How about this for the bullpen in the three-game sweep? Ten and a third innings, one run, and 17 strikeouts. And you look at the list of names that are going to the mound right now. I mean, with Benoit down and Furbush down, Scribner, Cook. I mean, go down the list, all the injuries they've suffered through. And you see Montgomery out there who's just dealing. He has been sensational. Vincent, for the most part, has been outstanding. Nuno, Johnson. And no matter who is out there, they're getting it done. It's really unreal. And Johnson claims the victory. An inning in two-thirds, one hit. No runs, two walks. Here's what Johnson had to say after the ball game. Uh, yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, it, it was a lot of fun being out there and being in a big situation and not being able to get out of it. You come into the day and I think you know who's not going to be available. How do you go about preparing for, okay, we're all, these are the guys that we're going to have today. Right, I mean, you know, you, you hope the, the starter can go along and you know, he, he gave us all, all he could and, uh, you know, we knew that the rest of the bullpen needed to pick it up and, um, you know, I was put in a kind of a tough spot, and uh, didn't have, like I said, I didn't have my best command today. But I was able to make a couple pitches and, and get out of it. How'd you get through that when you knew you didn't have that best command? Uh, you just gotta, you gotta find something that, that's working. And uh, I was able to throw a couple curveballs in for a strike, and um, 
you know, throw, throw a couple good pitches in there. And uh, fortunately, I was able to get out of it. And here's Taiwan Walker. And the great news about Walker after the stiff neck uh, last start, he looked sensational. I don't think the results he wanted, especially with the way he looked, but uh, that was great to see. He especially so electric early in the ball game. I felt really good. You know, everything felt really good. Uh, fastball was really good. Um, you know, I probably should have done more of it, uh, but the offense was working really well. The slider was probably the best I've thrown it all year. And, uh, but, uh, you know, just a couple of walks that I had that, that really hurt me. You, you haven't been a guy that's been, like, getting fine or nibbling. Is it just was yeah. the product giving up the double or because you felt strong? Or just yeah, I mean, I felt like I was able to locate pretty well with everything, especially my fastball. You know, I was locating in the corners pretty well, and you know, I just got too cute with it, I guess, and instead of being aggressive, and I really had my good fastball today, and just, you know, I should have just gone right after them and put the ball in play. Uh, but, yeah. Do you feel you're just so close to putting it all together yeah. on a complete game, doing the big well, Definitely. I mean, I felt I feel like I could have today. All my pitches were working pretty well today, but, uh, you know, I, I can't, in that situation, can't walk anyone, especially with a four-run lead, you know, 4-0. Um, you know, I have to get out of that, uh, you know, so... And Chris Iannetta, the hero, here's what he had to say. Like you say, I mean, this team, we've just seen so much. Uh, it can be any guy on any night, yeah. and today it's you, and it's a lot of bullpen bases. Yeah, pitching was great. I mean, Taiwan did a great job. I mean, I know the, the, the line doesn't look as good as it was. I mean, he was cruising for a long time, you know, made a couple pitches around the zone that were really close. Um, and then there's a curveball to Dickerson. You know, he'd been swinging and missing it off. He pitches all, all series, and then he finally connected with one. Um, so, I mean, you tip your cap in that situation. It's unfortunate for Taiwan that it ended that way. But, you know, the guys did really well today. It really seemed like Taiwan was cruising to those first five innings. He was. Too. How good does it see him bounce back after having to come out early the last start, too? Yeah, I mean, this is just one of those things. It's stiff neck. He couldn't do anything. It's more, he probably would have battled through it for another few innings, but you start changing mechanics. You don't want to risk you know, him getting hurt, hurt his shoulders, back. Although, I mean, risk reward just wasn't there for him this early in the season. What does a win like this, especially in this manner, do for a team? going into an off day especially yeah anytime you can win with some energy it's always a it's always a confidence booster for the guys um it builds team chemistry when when guys all play together and work hard together um but you know winning winning may and april is just as good as a win in september so it's another step closer to our goals and finally the skipper scott service here's what he had to say quite a game quite a series uh really a lot of things uh happened in that game we really need an off day <laughs> these games i think all the guys are looking forward to it and, and what a great way to, to to wrap up the series so uh, really happy for chris obviously huge hit and he's actually swinging the bat okay and got a lot of hits but his bats continue to be very very good and uh you know, again, our, our bullpen, wow, you know, nice nice job. You know, outside the, the little hiccup, uh, Nick Vincent uh, made one mistake, but, you know, that happens. You know, it's the big leagues, but uh, really good job by our guys. Steve Johnson, I mean, the guy you just brought up. Yeah, you know, um, not an easy spot to, to fire him out. We, we knew going into the game, if it got tight late, we were going to try to stay away from Ciszek and Peralta, and uh, you know, those guys are ready to pitch. Uh, really, Montgomery, awesome job, you know, for him running out there and then, you know, Nuno threw the ball well. Everybody really, you know, contributed in this game. And, uh, you know, it's nice. That's that's what we, we have special uh, going on. Is it's Everybody's a part of it. Everybody contributes at some point every day. Like Taiwan was lights out for five <laughs> innings, and then uh, wheels came off. Yeah, that can happen that quick. <laughs> it's about as good as I've seen him all year. I mean, really. And, you know, I think he maybe walked three guys all year, yeah. and he walks three guys in that inning. So, you know, it got away from him. It shows you what can happen if you don't. 
no command in the strike zone, but uh, the stuff was outstanding. It was really cruising, you know, but the walks, and then he makes the mistake uh, on the grand slam, and before you know it, he's out of the game. So you can't, you can't, let, guard, can't let your guard down, obviously, uh, in this league, and he it just, it just lost it for a little bit. All right, and here's the number that I promised that you're going to love. So April 13th, Deho Lee hit a game-winning home run against Texas. So nearly a month ago. Sure you remember it. That was big time. So if you look at the best records, including that day, from April 13th until right now, including all the games yesterday. In fact, I waited until the Dodgers and Mets wrapped up uh, late night to, to put this together. The best major league records from the 13th till now. The Mariners at 19-7. and seven, the Cubs at 19 and 7, the Mets at 19 and 7, and the Red Sox at 18 and 9. So for a month, the Mariners, Cubs, and Mets have been the best teams in baseball. So that's what you've been watching this past month with the Seattle Mariners. See, I knew you'd like that number. So the Mariners off day to day, no baseball, which is too bad because it gets really fun, although they could use it, especially with the bullpen. They'll be back at it on Friday, and we'll have the preview for you tomorrow. Right now, I'm going to throw it to a conversation that I hope you enjoy with Jesse Smith, part of the front office for the Seattle Mariners, manager of analytics. Here it is. Let's talk about how you got here. How did you get to the big leagues in an analytics department? I took a, a very unusual path. Uh, it had very little bearing on any of my education. <laughs> uh, I was I went to the University of Chicago for undergrad, and I was a cognitive psychology major. And uh, after graduating undergrad, I was uh, intent on working in a research lab and uh, just going into research in some kind. So I always had the passion for research, uh, and. While I was in the process of finishing up that year and applying, getting ready to apply to grad school and all that stuff, uh, my best friend from school uh, called me up from, he was living in Portland, Oregon, and he asked me to move to Portland, uh, drop what I was doing, and help him start this concert promotion company, uh, which basically was kind of like if you've ever had a friend uh, do Battle of the Bands or been in it yourself. <laughs> Just like a multinational uh, garage bands, hi, a lot of high school, college type bands, like in a bunch of cities. Uh, so we, you know, combination of naivety and, uh, I don't know, capitalist nature decided that uh, we could we could do this business better than the competitors were doing it. Some of our, one of our mutual friends had worked for another company and, and decided that they ran their they ran it poorly and that we could do better so uh i just decided to go for it and we moved down there and a long story short on that it was it was a grueling year with you know marginal success but uh we ended up starting to database hundreds and thousands of these bands uh just into you know excel spreadsheets and uh over time, we started to notice patterns of, you know, which bands were going to be reliable and what were the traits that made us want to 
pursue them and continue working with them versus trying to weed out the flakes that uh and for live productions if you know you have 100 people involved in live production if one person flakes uh it can be a chain reaction disaster so it was really important uh just began sort of hacking some in python uh coding language just began hacking together some basic predictive stuff running correlations and over time I began to realize that it was just much more accessible. I'd always been a fan of, I've always been a huge baseball fan. Always followed, always followed the stats. Read Moneyball at a young age. Just <laughs> uh, from then on, I was just you know always on the internet looking for looking for the newest research, trying to get the edge in fantasy baseball and stuff. Uh, but so when I was doing, when I was looking through this data with the bands, it, it just occurred to me how how much more accessible this was to me. I thought I I needed. Uh, I thought I needed to have majored in comp side more or less to to be to do what I was doing, and I realized just how easy it was. And I decided that I would just take a crack at working with some baseball numbers, which I had much more passion for than than the music. Like <laughs> that's that, that was really what it was. I realized I just didn't have the passion for what I was doing. And so anyway, I started working on a, a predictive pitcher ERA model, just scraping data from. Uh, ML BAM, someone had built a, a, a scraper and I just uh, used what they'd already written and built on top of it. Uh, and it ended up being pretty good. Uh, much better than I thought it would be. It was very competitive with what was publicly available in terms of how accurate it was at predicting ERAs. So I just decided to put a research paper together and I sent it out to all the teams, well, almost all the teams, and uh, and lo and behold, uh, the Mariners were one of a few teams that got back to me. And I was, I was living in Seattle, so I got the face-to-face -face interview. And uh, Jeff Kingston decided to give me an internship, and that was uh, five years ago. And I've just uh, slowly but surely uh, demonstrated that I, you know, have aptitude to, <laughs> to, to learn on the fly and, you know, be helpful to the organization. And here I am. That's an amazing story. Did, did you ever think, growing up as a kid, you'd be working in Major League Baseball? Absolutely not. Just, like, I was, no, never, never, never actually thought that that would happen. It's, it's, it's crazy. So, what do you do on a daily basis? I, I think people, they know that uh, there's analytic departments in Major League Baseball. I just, I don't know how many people know exactly what goes on on a daily basis. So, what does your daily life look like? Yeah, well, it's 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 constantly evolving. You know, I think people are really dialed in to the new data sets that are coming out, particularly StatCast. And, you know, as new stuff becomes available, that can completely change the priority. Uh, it depends a lot on, uh, you know, just what uh, management is interested in, what the coaching staff, what kind of information they want, what kind of information the general manager wants. But, I mean... At various times, we've touched on everything from, you know, individual player projections. You know, obviously, I'd already done the pitcher projections, hitting projections, defense, uh, team forecasting. So, you know, just give us a handle on just like a lot of the public sites will do. Uh, and then uh, particularly more so now than ever, especially with the StatCast, uh, defensive alignments and in-game strategy concepts like when to play no doubles defense. Uh, all sorts of, you know, we'll have our we'll have our projects that we might have like long-term projects, but then uh, there will constantly be 
new demand for things that I didn't see coming. So I'll, I'll always have one or two things I'm working on long term, but I might have to just shut that down for a month and work on something that's of immediate need, if, whether it's evaluating a player or, or really, I don't know, it could be anything. How much do you think StatCast changes what you do and what front offices do? I think that it's it's more revolutionary to the public eye than it is to teams. Uh, teams have had access to you know hit vector data for you know over five years. That's not as reliable as StatCast, maybe, but it's very similar in nature. Uh, the one thing that it's really done. Is, is the defensive positioning, being able to measure, uh, you know, the basically underlying tools of players, how fast they are, you know, their first jump, uh, things like that. So, as, But as far as, like, batted ball contact, which I think is a lot of what people are enamored with, that is old news to us. Uh, but uh, the defensive positioning and evaluating, like, you know, rather than most before that, like it was zone ratings were sort of the best analytics for defense, which is just purely results based and takes a long time to stabilize. But when you can just look directly at the tools uh, that are underlying those results, you can you can get much more predictive data faster. How satisfying is it? You take this year, for example, with the Mariners and the shifts this year, and you look at the, the numbers and the shifts have been paying off for the Mariners. How satisfying is it for you to put all the work in behind the scenes and see it pay off on the field? It's the highlight of my career to this point. It's an unbelievable opportunity, and my hat's off to the coaching staff for just taking the information, knowing exactly what they want, and taking it and running with it and executing it and the players to perfection. Uh, I expect there will be hiccups at times. You know, uh, we have a tendency to remember when it doesn't work versus <laughs> when it does work. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's been it's been more smooth than I could have imagined. It's been fantastic. How important is it for front office coaching staff down to the players to really work in unison for that sort of thing to really pay off? It is, it's, it's critical, and that's one thing that Scott was like out in front of right from the beginning, that if we don't have, if the coaching staff is not on board with the concept, the players will never get on board with it. Like it's, you have to create the buy-in, and so making sure that at the start that the front office and the coaching staff are completely in lockstep is, is critical to getting the players to, to trust yeah. that you know, we're not just making this stuff up. Right. Well, you obviously get access to numbers that we don't in the public. And I've always felt defensively we've never been there publicly. You referenced it a moment ago. Is there a public defensive metric that you like more than the others? Not, not particularly. If I, you know, in the, uh, in the stuff out there in the public, if I want to look around, which I, I definitely do all the time because, you know, multi-forecasting, looking at what everyone is saying, is always going to be better than just looking at what we're producing. Uh, even if we view that as the best single data point, we want the whole picture. Uh, I mean, I'll always just sort of look at UZR and DRS to start with. You know, some of the newer stuff that's uh, manually evaluated, like the inside edge fielding is great, and, you know, BIS, I guess DRS has a manual component to it. Uh so really, I just I aggregate it all as much as possible. If there's a strong disagreement between the two, you know, there's, I'm not necessarily going to favor one over the, over the other. It's going to be a case-by-case yeah. basis. 
You can always follow Manny Acta on Twitter, who once in a while will throw out a pretty good defensive number as uh, evidence about how successful the Mariners have been so far this year. Uh, I don't think there's anything I could give away here that Manny <laughs> won't tweet out anyway. So, uh, But, yeah, he's he's been an absolute pleasure to work with. He's He knows he has an immense amount of, of knowledge, and he's been, you know, so, like, we've learned a lot about how to build a defensive model just tapping into the coaching staff's knowledge. Tim Bogar, Scott as well, Casey Kendall for the outfield. When you watch a baseball game, how different you watch a game now as opposed to when you were just a fan or just a kid growing up, how different is the experience of just watching a game? So different. You know, sometimes I I yearn for the past when it was much more simple and I could just, like, relax and <laughs> choose what to focus on, I guess, as a fan. Uh, but, yeah, I... Ever since I moved to the inside five years ago, really just looking at every contact as a vector and just, you know, how hard is it hit? And, you know, that's been that's been the biggest change, I think, because that was, uh, you know, just not part of the sabermetric uh, catalog for such a long time. That's a good point. How big is the Mariners analytics department? So I always hesitate at this question because it's really, it just depends how you want to define it. Like, it, does it have to be people that are, you know, database divers? Does it have to be like, you know, we have, we have dedicated developers. We have people that are purely doing, you know, the, the ideas. And we have sort of like some hybrid people that are, you know, techn- some technical support, some scouting, but also just can work their way around a database. But, uh... I would say, you know, there's definitely myself, uh, Dan Mayer, who's been huge on uh, the shifting, Wesley Battle, who has been here longer than anyone, uh, just sort of our uh, utility, like, can do, does it all. And then uh, we also have a, a really great intern, Joel Furman, who's doing an awesome job with some TrackMan stuff. But then we also have uh, a team of developers that, uh, you know, are more just all-purpose developers, uh, but... You know they are they are critical for what we do, and uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't include uh, Shelley, Justin, and Dave uh, as as our as critical to what we do. And I think they definitely would count in my book. Do you think we'll ever get to the point where there will be no more stones to turn over when it comes to baseball analytics? No. I mean, I suppose it's possible, but I think we'll just get to the point where we're looking at smaller and smaller margins, and you know, in some ways, in some ways, I might that might that might be a sad thing because I think for a lot of baseball fans like myself, it's the it's the idea that there are no experts and that we can we can pioneer new ideas and new concepts. Uh, but I think there's there's a lot there's a lot left. I, I think it's going to take a long time before we have a better understanding. I mean, the human element in, until we have like bio, <laughs> you know, like genetic readings and like you know, we're never going to be able to predict the future. So, well, Jesse, this was fun. Uh, you've given the fans, I think, a great insight on what you do and how this all works. And hopefully, we get a chance to visit again uh, soon. This was fun. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. And now, Shannon Dreyer talks with Dayho Lee.
We'll learn a little bit more about Deho Lee with the help of interpreter DJ Park. Deho looks back at his earliest days in baseball. I first started uh, grade of third grade at elementary school. That's when I started baseball. And my, uh, I'm from Busan, and that area has a lot of baseball fans crowded, Basin City. So that's how I love the baseball since I started. Tell me a little bit about Pusan. If I were to, if you were to drop me in the middle of it there today, what would I see? Well, the Pusan is known as just like Seattle, it's a port city, and very uh, beautiful uh, sea. And there is a, a city called Guanghali, uh, and they have a bridge. It's like a Manhattan Bridge, really. Uh, beautiful bridge and they every summer they have a fireworks just like a independence day fireworks so oh. very special there is a story that Sinchu Chu talked you into playing baseball is that true and how did that happen yeah third grade uh, Sinchu Chu transferred to my school mm-hmm. and he was my uh, uh, schoolmate I mean uh, classmate mm-hmm. and he would keep asking me to uh, play baseball you were a pitcher to start out. How did that happen, and what did you enjoy about pitching? The only age, because uh, I was the biggest uh, player, so mm-hmm. it uh, tell me to pitcher, so I did it. Mm-hmm. When I went to junior high in high school, I did everything. Catcher, pitcher, uh, inflate, play, position players as well. well. What was your favorite part of the game? What did you like to do the most? Shortstop was my favorite. Really? Why? Because you look really good on the field. <laughs> you th- I mean, obviously, did that help you? I, we see you at first base, you're a good fielder. Is... I learned the fundamental and basic baseball, so it helped me. You played everywhere. Yes. When did you get an idea that you could play baseball for a living? After I graduated high school, I got into the uh, professional baseball league. What was that like? I mean, in the U.S., there's a draft and there's a lot of excitement when you're chosen. What was that like to sign the first contract and know that this is what you were going to do? Yeah, I was so happy, and I with the, all the money, I bought a house and a car, and it was a very uh, good experience for me. As far as your hitting goes, how did you develop as a hitter? Where did you learn your approach? In my mind, my early age, I learned as I just uh, hit the ball in the contact in the middle of my bat. That, that's my uh, my main motto always. So when I, when you hit the middle in the part of the bat, it, it gets a hitter home run as well. So I wasn't really taught as a home run hitter. What was it like to hit nine home runs in a row? What was it like to go to the ballpark every day? I was surprised myself. <laughs> I didn't know I was going to do that, really. And I, I, I didn't even think about that one. Uh-huh. It was just a shock me as well. After hitting home runs in nine consecutive games in 2010, Lee would play only one more year in Korea and then sign a deal to play in Japan. Going to Japan, what was different about Japanese baseball and playing in Japan than from what you grew up with? Well, 
because in Japan they have really good pitcher uh, throwing breaking balls, changeouts, curveball. I learned through that those pitchers and uh, practice my skill as well by looking at balls. So it really could help me grow up. Was that much of an adjustment, or was it more a matter of just seeing it more? Never change. I just look at the balls and I kind of learn it through. When did it get into your mind? I, I want to go to. I want to go to MLB. I want to play there. 도전할 거라고는 처음 원래는 MLB를 스무 살때 오고 싶었다 조수 때. When I was 20, I wanted to come here. It was, but I realized it's a dream. It was a dream, so I just just practice my own baseball. I do better in in, in Korea. And like four or five years ago, I thought about okay, MLB is my next challenge. He thought about that, and then this, this is how I am. Did you? How much did you watch? Did you games did you study it what did you do to get ready and and kind of make that decision that okay I, I think it's time I think I can do this it's not because I watched the major league baseball game because I think I'm ready my physically I'm ready for the baseball major league baseball how much are you trying to take in everything and what do you want to see in the places that you go to what are you curious to see here. Mm. It's just the uh, dream come true I came here, Major League. I'm playing with the teammates that I've been watching through the TV. I've uh, been going to uh, stadium to stadium. So this is just experience. I'm enjoying the uh, playing baseball. That's, uh, Along those lines, it's an interesting situation. I mean, you're a rookie here, but you also are very much a veteran, and you have so much experience. Uh, how are you balancing mm-hmm. both roles? Yes, uh, I am very as myself. Play eleven years in Korea, four years in Japan. That's pretty much a big league experience. But uh, as soon as I uh, decide to go to MLB, uh, I put it down. It just put in my past. This is a new chapter. Going to look as a major league. It just uh, just feel fun that I'm the, those uh, superstar, Robinson like Cano, uh-huh. uh, Cruz. I'm coming here here playing with him uh-huh. and just uh, chatting with them. It just itself is just fun. You say that, but you step up to the plate and the game is on the line, and I look at a guy who's a guy. I don't know how you translate that, but in baseball, the guy is. You know, a guy that can step up and get the job done and has the experience. That still very much seems to be a part of. As I look at myself as, yes, I'm a rookie. As a, my status is a rookie, but I'm a baseball player. I'm a veteran baseball player. I've been had this kind of uh, situation 2,000 times. I bet it 2,000, at least 2,000 bet. So when I come into the bed, I know what to do. And this is my job, and this is what I've been learned. And I'm a baseball player. From Korea to Japan to the U.S., there is no doubt about it. Holy is a baseball player. And here's Aaron Goldsmith with Chris Archer. Well, Chris, a, a beautiful day today here at Safeco Field, and many of us couldn't help but notice that in, in the outfield, well before batting practice even, you were having a, a nice conversation, it looked like, with Mariners first-year manager Scott Service. Uh, can you tell us what that exchange was like? Um, I didn't know him personally uh, have a lot of respect for all managers in this game and I just want to introduce myself and say hello and he told me 
very fascinating path to being a big league manager, and it added to the level of respect that I have for him. You'll be facing off against Taiwan Walker, a, a pitching matchup that we've been talking about on air for about a week now, ever since we knew how the, the probables would line up. Two of the most exciting young arms in the game, you and Taiwan. Have you been able to notice Taiwan in recent years and the success that he's had? And you're a fan of the game, no doubt. How much have you enjoyed seeing what he's been able to do? Yeah, there's several reasons why I like Taiwan. Um, first of all, I'm not that young. I, I know. You were 27? Yeah. yeah, I'm not that young cat anymore. He is. By baseball terms. Okay, okay, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm only I'm three-plus years in, so I am young in, in regards to sure. service time. But, um, yeah, I mean, first of all, there's not many black American pitchers in the game. Uh, there's a, a large article in the USA Today in spring training about the lack of black American baseball players and not only that, but black American pitchers. Um, so seeing Taiwan, obviously that's the first thing that, that I notice because I'm looking at it from a slightly different vantage point. Um, secondly, he's an athlete that chose baseball. And his athleticism really shows. Um, he's 6'5". He can windmill 360 dunk. <laughs> and he can throw 98 miles an hour at will. So you've seen him on YouTube, it sounds like, as well as on the mound. Yeah, I'm t I'm, <laughs> for the past four or five years, I've, I've been a fan. Because uh, I remember that when David Price was possibly going to be traded in one offseason and even at the trade deadline in 2014, his name kept popping up. And uh, I know that, that all the Mariners fans have to be very happy that they kept him as opposed to trading him at the deadline, seeing what he's blossomed into. And he's only, what, 24, 25 years old? 23. Wow, that's crazy. But, yeah, I'm sure the fans are happy about that. But, yeah, I got his number yesterday, um, and I look forward to catching up with him. And I heard he's a bright, bright young guy, so I'm, I'm looking forward to talking to him and, and picking his brain about how things are in Seattle. But, honestly – I'm just going to be listening because he has the best teacher in the league as far as right-handing pitching goes on his own team. So there's no no tips coming from me. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to try to get to know him as a person and, and encourage him and let him know that his, his future is bright. Referring, of course, to Felix Hernandez, sounds like there was a matchmaker between you and Taiwan to broker the phone numbers. Yeah, uh, Nate Carnes was the, <laughs> was the matchmaker on that. Um, and that's another great guy who um, – Last outing, I heard he was throwing 95-96, topping 98. So you guys got a special arm, uh, special talent over there with him too. Hey, last year an All-Star, uh, what was that experience like for you at the Midsummer Classic? Your journey to get to the majors alone is one that many people don't realize. You were traded a number of times. You spent more time in AAA than a lot of people would think a man of your abilities that we see today. Uh, this was a long journey for you. What was that moment like for you at the All-Star game last year? It was special. Um, in all reality, I always envisioned myself there, but it was better than any dream or any visualization tactic that I could have had, <laughs> honestly. Um, being in the room with, with 24, 25, six other guys that are very special, um, it was a little, it was a little um, surreal, but at the end of the day, I just, it, it was just a small taste of what I think I'm really capable of. And um, not that I'm defining my career off how many All-Star games I get to. That's cool. 
but um, just playing at a high level and being considered one of the top 30 players in the game um, is, 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 a, is a huge honor. And the best part about the whole experience was making my parents happy, making them proud. I stood right next to Felix on the, on the line. They announced my name as an all-star, and, and I found my parents in the stands, and the look on their faces was priceless. Chris, it's always a real treat to catch up with you. Thanks so much for the time. No problem. Thank you for having me. On this edition of At Home, we're going to we're going to read an essay by one of my favorite authors, a great baseball author, Roger Angel. It's called On the Ball, and it goes like this. It weighs just over five ounces and measures between 2.86 and 2.94 inches in diameter. It's made of a composition cork nucleus encased in two thin layers of rubber, one black and one red, surrounded by 121 yards of tightly wrapped blue-gray wool yarn, 45 yards of white wool yarn, 53 more yards of blue-gray wool yarn, and 150 yards of fine cotton yarn, a coat of rubber cement, and a cowhide formerly horsehide exterior, which is held together with 216 slightly raised red cotton stitches, printed certifications, endorsements, and outdoor advertising spherically attest to its authenticity. Like most institutions, it is considered inferior in its present form to its ancient archetypes. And in this case, the complaint is probably justified. On occasion in recent years, it has actually been known to come apart under the demands of its brief but rigorous active career. Baseballs are assembled and hand-stitched in Taiwan. Before this year, the work was done in Haiti. And before 1973 in Chicopee, Massachusetts. And contemporary pitchers claim that there's a tangible variation in the size and feel of the balls that now come into play in a single game. A true peewee is treasured by hurlers and its departure from the premises by fair means or foul is secretly mourned. But never mind, any baseball is beautiful. No other small package comes as close to the ideal in design and utility. It's a perfect object for a man's hand. Pick it up, and it instantly suggests its purpose. It is meant to be thrown a considerable distance, thrown hard and with precision. Its feel and heft are the beginning of the sport's critical dimensions. If it were a fraction of an inch larger or smaller, a few centigrams heavier or lighter, the game of baseball would be utterly different. Hold a baseball in your hand. As it happens, this one is not brand new. Here, just to one side of the curved surgical welt of stitches, there's a pale green grass smudge, darkening on one edge almost to black. The mark of an old infield play, a tough grounder now lost in memory. Feel the ball. Turn it over in your hand. Hold it across the seam or the other way with the seam just to the side of your middle finger. Speculation stirs. You want to go outdoors and throw this spare and sensual object to somebody or at the very least watch somebody else throw it. The game has begun. But it's one, two, three, strike, turn out at the old ball. 